Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Now don't take this the wrong way, but you are a Terminator, right? Yes, Sabaton Systems Model 101. Holy shit. You're really real. I mean, oh. You're like a machine underneath, right? But sort of alive outside? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. Okay. Um, you're not here to kill me. I figured that part out for myself. So what's the deal? My mission is to protect you. Yeah? Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now, you reprogrammed me to be your protector here, in this time. This is deep. This is an American science fiction action thriller. Directed by James Cameron. The cast includes Howard Langston, Sarah Connor, John Connor, FBI Special Agent John Doggett, Reba from Pee Wee's Playhouse, and two sets of actual twins, uh, Don and Dan Stanton, who play the police officer that the T-1000 transforms into, and Linda Hamilton and Leslie Hamilton Greer, uh, her, her twin sister, who plays the, uh, her doppelganger um, being interpreted by the T-1000. Pretty amazing stuff. That is cool. Um, so the, uh, Don and Dan Stanton, they're the cops who are like in the psych ward. When yeah, the guy like who, who the orders it from the um, yeah from the coffee machine or whatever. Yeah, and then he like gets uh, lobotomized. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that is really cool. I didn't know that he was also a, a twin. That's awesome. Doppelganger shenanigans inside and outside of this movie. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> um, I watched this movie on HBO Max. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on HBO Max, and I'll say it again: HBO Max is improving their app. It's not perfect. There's plenty of things that are still wrong with it, but it's not as painful to use. Obligatory, you know, status update on the HBO user experience. So happy to hear that they're headed in the right direction. I was surprised that HBO Max only has Terminator 2. That's the only Terminator movie they have. That's the only one you need. I I <laughs> guess that's probably true. Uh, but while we're uh, focusing on this movie, we'll start our uh, conversation by recapping the events in terminator 2 judgment day with a synopsis that you wrote uh, so go ahead in the year 2029 the world is nothing but a barren wasteland humans and machines fight a bloody war for survival but the future is uncertain the leader of the human resistance is a man named john connor he has been preparing for this role his entire life and that's because the machines have sent two assassins back in time to kill first his mother and then him. These assassins are called Terminators. The first Terminator was thwarted by a resistance member named Kyle Reese, who was sent back in time by John to protect John's mother, Sarah Connor. Kyle impregnated Sarah during his brief time with her, and this is how John was conceived. During their struggle with the Terminator, Kyle Reese was killed. Now... John Connor is a young teenager living with his foster parents. Sarah has been locked in a psychiatric hospital because she tried to blow up a computer factory in an attempt to prevent the coming apocalypse. 
No one believes her when she talks about the Terminator because the incident was covered up by Cyberdyne Systems Corporation. Two Terminators arrive in present day. The first, which looks identical to the Arnold Schwarzenegger original Terminator, was sent by the Resistance to protect young John. The second is the terrifying T-1000, a mimetic poly-alloy machine with the ability to change shape at will. It will stop at nothing to kill John Connor. The T-1000 quickly assumes the identity of a cop and locates John easily, but the Schwarzenegger is not far behind. Armed with a shotgun, he blows the T-1000 away, allowing John to escape. A high-speed chase follows, with John Connor and Arnold on motorcycles and the T-1000 in a giant semi-truck. The Terminators are extremely strong, fast, and tough. The T-1000 in particular takes several blasts from shotguns and explosions in stride, reeling for moments before reconstructing itself flawlessly. John and his protector are able to evade the T-1000, but John insists they go rescue his mother. The T-1000's shape-shifting abilities will allow it to try to impersonate people in John's life to draw him in. Sarah Connor is in grave danger. John (laughs) discovers he can give his new ally commands. He tells it not to kill people and teaches him some slang to sound more human. The T-800 advises John not to make contact with his mother because the T-1000 will anticipate this, but John commands him to help rescue her. But Sarah can look after herself. She is in the midst of her own escape attempt when the Terminators find her. The T-1000 melts through barred gates and pretends to be the floor to sneak in undisturbed. And the Schwarzenegger blasts his way through walls. It's close, but again, John, Sarah, and the Terminator escape the clutches of the T-1000, just barely. Arnold has a whole database of information about the future and tells Sarah about the man most responsible for the upcoming nuclear apocalypse. His name is Miles Dyson. He works at Cyberdyne, the company that will eventually create Skynet. Skynet is the military artificial intelligence that begins the war between humans and machines. Dyson has been studying the remnants of the last Terminator in an effort to reverse engineer future technology. This will lead to the creation of Skynet and the destruction of the world. Sarah resolves to kill Dyson. She packs up some weapons and heads to his house. John and the friendly Terminator pursue and stop her from murdering the man in front of his family. Instead, with the Terminator's help, they convince Dyson to stop his research and destroy all his progress. Dyson takes them to Cyberdyne's headquarters, where the small group rigs the place to blow. Tons of police arrive, and true to his commands, the Schwarzenegger blows up a bunch of cars but kills no one. Dyson is fatally shot, and as the rest escape, he uses his final breath to destroy all of his work. But they are not out of the woods yet. The T-1000 finds them and begins pursuing again. This time, the high-speed chase takes them to a steel foundry. A deadly game of cat and mouse ensues. The T-1000 temporarily dispatches the Arnold bot and nearly lures John Connor to his death by impersonating his mother. But the real Sarah Connor appears with a shotgun and blasts the techno-demon with the T-800 reappearing to deliver the double tap, yeeting the liquid metal assassin into a pool of boiling metal. The T-1000 screams in otherworldly pain as its components melt in the extreme heat. It seems the evil machines have been defeated again. 
But Miles Dyson's research was based on the remnants of future tech, and one piece of the future remains, the Schwarzenegger. Even though he has been pacified and is working on the behalf of humans, his existence risks Skynet appearing anyway. With a final goodbye, Arnold is lowered into the lava pit. And with one final thumbs up, he is lost forever. The end. So there we have it. The events of Terminator 2, Judgment Day, uh, succinctly uh, recapped for you. Uh, We'll begin our conversation with pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about Terminator 2, Judgment Day? Uh, I I honestly don't even know where to start. Incredible visual effects. A beautiful, a beautiful written story. Um, Incredibly consistent tonally. It hits every single beat for me. It is heartfelt. It's funny. It's scary. It's thrilling. It's exciting. And it contains just a touch of existential horror uh, that really, you know, tickles my fancy. Stunning performances from Linda Hamilton, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Robert Patrick, and Edward Furlong. And the T-1000, in my opinion, is explored perfectly. Every, you know, everything you could think of to do with something like this, I think they do. Every time that you see him on screen, he does something surprising, but that also is uh, makes sense that they explain how he works and they keep playing with the idea over and over again. And it's just, oh, so beautiful every time. There's time travel elements. And of course, one of my favorite things in movie, uh, movie dumb is a uh, um, uh, doppelganger shenanigans, <laughs> uh, left and right, up and down. Love it. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I agree with all that stuff. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a star. This is potentially the best Arnold movie I've ever seen. Um, you know, I, I like just when you're talking about actually legitimate goodness and not just being like the most meme worthy movie. Although this is definitely a meme worthy role for him as well. This this movie has great action, great stunts, great horror ish type thrills, uh, great special effects that still look good today. Uh, great sci-fi elements. Like you mentioned, it's well-written. It has a memorable ending and it's just all around a badass movie. I, I really, really enjoyed this one. Um, all right. So let's talk about cons. What did you not like about Terminator two? Now, you know, I, um, I don't like doing this, you know, talk about a lot of movies on this, on this program. Um, every time I do this, I feel like I devalue the other ones I put in this list, but I'm doing a bait and switch here. These cons I wrote here are not even real. There are no cons for this movie. It's a perfect movie. Wow. (laughs) Okay. That is, that is bold. I really don't have anything to say negatively about this movie either. Um, I like after I watched, uh, Terminator two, I was like reflecting to myself. I was like, this might be one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, in the sense of like a movie that sets out to do what it, it accomplishes, what it sets out to do, um, exactly. and I think it's freaking amazing. And there's there's so many things to praise about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was thinking like, oh, I want to see more of the future war. It's like I don't know if you do that, too, if you flash back too much, you're telling two stories, right? They show you the 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 beginning is so it's like longer than it needs to be. It's not just like a couple of like shots, right? They have the extended scenes of this incredibly weird war that's happening in the future yeah it's like uh, the, awesome the audio is like oddly it's like oddly quiet for a war right <laughs> which is but again that's like kind of unsettling in a way that the future it makes it feel like the future yeah yeah they got these big old ed 209 robots in the hills and then uh, robots crushing human skulls laser blasts going left and right amazing and then like oh you want to do more i guess you could do more with the time travel stuff i think for 
the what this movie is attempting to do it 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 steps its foot in the time travel thing and then it kind of steps out but it still delivers really well i think you know especially considering what the first one set up um it does kind of a similar kind of twist but um it, it really does make you think i think the uh the quintessential example of time travel media is the show dark on netflix the best show a best like show or anything about time travel ever made and that movie is just bootstrap well that show is just bootstrap paradoxes from the top to the bottom and so is so is the time terminator franchise the first one and the second one are both just based around bootstrap paradoxes and i feel like that's a testament to a ruel a good understanding of time travel without making it super complicated and i think that's what you really want from something like this if you're not gonna make a movie that's like about the time travel mechanic you're just using it to uh you know set up your your plot i think they they nail it perfectly they give you just enough for you to, to chew on uh without going too far and then um well since we're addressing time travel already did you, i don't want to get off into a big tangent but i do just want to get like uh, some clarification on this so by going back in time and doing these things are they creating an alternate future that happens in parallel to the existing future or like, yeah, the existing future, or is it a, uh, like the actions of the past guarantee the actions of the future? Um, because I don't see how John gets born in the first it's, time uh, that if, if, if time happens linearly, then I, I'm so glad you asked this question. You clearly have watched my video about time travel. <laughs> <laughs> There's the, the, the answer is you don't know. You don't know. Just because, there, you know, as I've, I've stated before, there's three types of time travel there that are, exist in these, uh, these franchises or any sort of media, basically. Um, and the truth is that you can't actually tell what kind of universe you're in, what, kind of time, what your time travel rules are, simply by inventing a time machine. Um, you have to do specific tests to find out whether or not it, you, like you live in a dynamic timeline, a static timeline, or in a multiverse. And this uh, movie does not answer those questions. It simply posits that it might be possible to change the future, and therefore it's worth trying, um, which I think is pretty awesome, actually. And I, again, that's something that like Dark reflects as well. I think, you, uh, I think James Cameron did a really good job uh, establishing that time travel is an expensive and risky um, maneuver. It cannot be done willy-nilly. It has to be done at precise times. It has to be d done with a lot of energy and with a lot of focus, right? They're not just sending back armies of Terminators. They're not sending back armies of resistance fighters, right? They're sending back one guy and uh, on each side. And you know, that's all they can afford for whatever reason. And you know, they're arriving at the same time. Who knows why that's happening or not? Maybe you're dealing with some sort of wormhole situation where you know, if, you send in a, if you send in an object today, and then you go back to the wormhole and send in an object tomorrow, in the past, that second object arrives a day later than the first one, right? You don't actually control how the, 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 the uh, point in history in which it appears. You can only utilize opportunities, right? A again, this is all open, open questions. You don't, you don't have any answers to that. But, I'm not, but you can't say that like, these things weren't thought about or these things weren't considered, right? You can, you can make all these uh, uh, assumptions about what kind of uh, time machine we're dealing with here. And maybe, oh, maybe, why don't you just send back the, uh, the Terminator exactly where Robert Patrick was and kill him when he arrives, whatever, right? Like, why can't you manipulate time travel in the way that you pretended it? But you don't know if that's how it works. So um, there's, uh, I think, by giving you less, it gives the audience enough space to uh, work with it without focusing too much on it. Um, and, and yet still gets at those 
quintessential time travel paradoxes and questions about like what causes the future how does the past affect the future and can the future affect the past if they if these two things exist simultaneously how, you know what what is the nature of uh inspiration even i think all of those are really interesting elements that this movie touches on and, and gives you something to, to grasp onto and start to pull on that thread so that you can you can come up with your own theories right and so we can have conversations like we're doing right now uh, because yes. there's definitely like criticisms of time travel in general like rick and morty does a spoof of terminator with this like snake planet oh yeah and they end up sending like it's just an endless uh time travel they're just sending people back to the same moment in time or sending snakes back to the same moment in time infinitely because that's their way of satirizing it and making fun of the concept of of terminator and then there's also bill and ted's excellent adventure where to, to in like the climax of that movie in order to get through the what they need to get through they just say okay we just need to remember to go back in time and set this up for ourselves and then it'll happen right now and it yes. does <laughs> it's like oh, this is a hilarious like twist on it as well but i agree with everything you just said i i think that they uh do just enough give you just enough information to have an idea of what's going on without having to set out the rules and let you you know break your uh break the rules by logicking it out yes exactly and yeah i think i mean this, let's go back to the bootstrap paradox right so the idea is that you have some information that becomes available in the future that you send back in time that uh, influences the effects of that information becoming available in the first place, right? In the first movie, in, term in the first Terminator, it is Kyle Reese himself, right? Kyle Reese has to go back in time, sent back in time by his son to, uh, like, uh, uh, become his father, essentially. Right. And, like, that's... If uh, the future didn't exist, right? If uh, John Connor didn't exist, then this wouldn't have happened, but... Uh, uh, Johnny Connor wouldn't exist if uh, Kyle Reese didn't exist in the past, right? So, like, how is this possible? What, who was first, uh, Kyle Reese going back in time or John Connor in the future? Like, neither of these things are possible without the other. Same thing is true for this one in that they, the, uh, the, um, the, the chip that Miles Dyson is using to create Skynet uh, only exists because it was captured by the original terminator in the first movie and now they're going to use that to they're going to reverse engineer that to create the technology that would eventually lead to skynet so like skynet created itself or like created the seed like made its own seed and sent the seed back in time for it to like become itself it's almost implying that this entire timeline this this entire the entire events of this are self-contained if like Sarah Connor and John Connor's existence is the what ends up causing the uh the um rise of Skynet or that Skynet wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for John Connor and Sarah Connor but also John Connor and Sarah Connor wouldn't exist without Skynet. <laughs> so it's just like it's it, they're tied together in this really interesting web, right? And it starts to make you think about like uh and this is what I think about all the time. I think Dark does this incredibly well how do you know the events of the future will be affected by the events of the past and how do you know that you your knowledge of the future is not the thing that causes the future to happen right so sarah connor going to that uh, place and blowing up the um the facility or whatever could have been the catalyst that that actually ended up spe like accelerating skynet to becoming uh like a, a valid um 
proposition or a valid project in the future? What were they, what were they trying to cover up or something? You know, and if she hadn't done that, then then this would never have happened. Miles Dyson would have would have spittered out or something like that. But that's but you don't know you don't know for sure. The movie ends in the hopeful note that she does change the future, and I think that's ultimately what James Cameron intended. Although that's not what ends up happening in the Terminator franchise. Right. So it's it's um it's very confusing, but it's also it, I think it comes down to this question or this like this problem of we have a problem we invented this tool to help us solve the problem which is time travel and yet all it does is create more problems and ultimately doesn't end up solving our first problem which is that we as humans uh, have a have a uh, tendency to destroy ourselves yes so it, this thing only made that more <laughs> only made that th- that uh part of ourselves that bias more real uh, the technology simply um accelerated or um, amplified that um, <laughs> that tendency, which is <laughs> hilarious, uh, but also like uh, deeply disturbing in a way, and it makes you really think about what the de- what the direction of technology is in the fu- in the first place. Because at this point, it's very unclear. It almost feels like we've reached a singularity, and it's impossible to to predict what's going to happen. And therefore, um, maybe we should really be thinking about what does technology, what is the new technologies purpose and does it serve any purpose other than its own creation um which ultimately you could argue is very skynet like absolutely um one of my uh like you know looking at this movie compared to the first one they both end in this very you know they end in factories right in this very industrial setting and i think that's very much intentional um, I think, you know, it's not too far to, to leap to say that the, the Terminator is saying that the Industrial Revolution and its consequences uh, were a big mistake and have caused <laughs> needless, unnecessary uh, uh, human suffering. Yeah, well, that's the theme of this one, right? Is that people are becoming Terminators or that there are people that represent have Terminator-like traits. The, the most obvious one being Sarah Connor, in that she, um, she feels so motivated by her goal of like trying to save humanity that she's willing to murder someone in front of their family, right? And she gets very close to actually doing that. I mean, she does pull the trigger while his head is in the sights. You know, <laughs> it just happened to be bad luck that he ducked at that moment. But like. That's um, well, and the uh, the he did it because his kid drove his RC car into their technology, saving uh, his life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, it's like that song from uh, Radiohead's uh, OK Computer, where he's reflecting on. He's like, "Wow, this airbag saved my life. Like, technology is so great; it saved my life. But I also wouldn't need an airbag to save my life if I wasn't in a car. So, nice. is technology <laughs> the problem or the solution? Neither." <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, like that's a really great. I mean, this is a really great exploration of human condition in general in a in what is extensively a action movie, right? There's this. I read this really great article um, uh, from uh, The Ringer where they interviewed a bunch of the uh, like James Cameron and a bunch of the other stars of Terminator Two thirty years after the movie came out, which it just came out thirty years ago, uh, like this year or last year. It's very. Um, so it's very, uh, very recent and the, um, really the anniversary is very recent. And one of the things he said is like, uh, James Cameron says, like, people always ask me, don't you wish you could make movies or what, don't you wish, don't you ever want to make a movie where people are just sitting in a room talking? And he says, I do that every time I make a movie. 
Um, it's just that I also have these incredible set pieces and action uh, surrounding it. You know, he has the heart right there. And every robot movie, I mean, every robot movie we've done in this podcast, especially, has really been an exploration of humanity. What is the line between a robot and a human, right? This is the, the existential question in The World's End and also Ex Machina, right? Where, where does humanity start? Where do robots start, right? Where does that line cross? And how far like, can we go over one line to become the other? And this movie does the same thing. It says, okay, uh, Terminator is here. It's an unfeeling, uncaring machine. It's here for one purpose, and that's to kill people. And when you embody that kind of mentality, if you're like, oh, my, my singular goal is to kill someone, you become very Terminator-like. Um, uh, yeah, Sarah Connor obviously uh, embodies that, but the other person who embodies that is, of course, the actual Terminator too. Uh, Judgment Day, uh, Robert Patrick, <laughs> uh, the T-1000, who dresses as a cop. And this was uh, apparently very purposeful. Uh, James Cameron thought it was kind of funny. He, uh, he said, um, uh, his co-writer uh, Wisher said, we can make him a cop. We, we thought, well, if he's a police officer, he can go places and do things and won't get questioned. And Cameron said, that was just me having fun with an authority figure. But there is a thematic point to that which is that we as human beings become terminators. We learn how to zero we learn how to have zero compassion. Terminator ultimately isn't about machines, it's about our tendency to become machines. I think your yeah, your analysis about industrial environments is very correct. Uh the cogs of a industrial capitalist machine uh we become. Uh it's a uh it's a scary and terrifying idea that you could become crushed under uh some mechanism that you barely even understand um and uh even though we have capabilities far beyond that right or that you'd be willing to participate in the crushing of others uh in a way that is uh you know you feel no remorse for because better them than me sure or i don't even recognize it as a tragedy because i'm so uh much a part of i'm a cog and uh it doesn't mean like the suffering is completely invisible to me uh, there's no remorse from at, like Arnold uh, in the first one and at the beginning of this movie for the suffering that he causes with other uh, people. They're just a means to an end. They are a uh, an obstacle in the way of a objective and no- yeah. nothing more. There's, there's no difference between punching out a window and punching a, someone's skull right out of their head uh, if it means getting to your objective faster. Yes, exactly. I mean, killing people is a very effective way to get what you want. Right. Uh, so it's it, it like from a efficiency standpoint, it makes sense. And um, I think that's true even in our own society. Right. I mean, like, why worry about people's actual conditions? It's a messy and complicated thing. If you can just burn them straight through uh, and treat them as if they are machines, because uh, we haven't invented machines that do can do that yet. Well, I, uh, you know, the opposite end of this uh, conversation, right? It's like humans becoming machines is the machine becoming human. Right. And, and John is uh, trying or at least he's teaching uh, Arnold how to be more like humanity and understand humanity because he has a neural network and he's constantly learning and you know yeah you, again we get into the, the conversation about like what is you know like uh when, when does he become aware or like how close can he be to being a human um there's this quote from sarah connor she's like narrating it for us when she's looking at john and arnold uh hanging out in the desert so let's, let's listen to that i i named this the uh, dadinator <laughs> watching john with the machine it was suddenly so clear. 
The Terminator would never stop. It would never leave him. And it would never hurt him, never shout at him or get drunk and hit him or say it was too busy to spend time with him. It would always be there and it would die to protect him. Of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years, this thing, this machine, was the only one who measured up. In an insane world, it was the sanest choice. So, like, something that I hear you say a lot is that um, for, like, the expectations for men, uh, like, the bar is so low. <laughs> like, uh, the yes. bar is <laughs> on the ground. And it's like, it, I was thinking about that as she was saying this, where she was like, wow, this robot is actually a great father. And he's like doing a bad job of giving a high five and like <laughs> trying to learn how to show approval by giving a thumbs up. I was laughing. Uh, but but I guess w- what's your take on this? Like, how did you feel about Arnold's transition from cold, ruthless robot who was killing civilians, even in a attempt to come back and save humanity um, to who he ends up being at the end? I think it's really amazing for a couple of reasons i think that it shows that there i read this book i read this short story uh from ted chang recently uh in his book um exhalation exhalation uh the short story is um the life cycle of software objects and his um into like the 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 afterward or um what's the word um what's the word for the last part of the book or like the, ep- the epilogue. Uh, in the epilogue, he gives explanations for why, like his inspiration for the, some of these stories. And in this one, uh, he says that he believes that if you were, if you wanted to actually teach an a artificial intelligence um, how to be a good person or a moral person, it would take just as long as it does to teach a human person how to do that. Um, and the the story is basically that they have these little AI guys that they raise from like toddlers and and eventually become autonomous and start thinking for themselves and wanting things for themselves and it's the story of these parents basically or these like people that like uh like control them or um are teaching them and their relationship with them there's like between child and pet almost where they're like they're kind of like humans uh they're like, or humanoid like or anthropomorphic animals and stuff um they, they kind of they do want a comparison between them and like a child with special needs where like the 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 thing that they they need a lot of attention they need very specific like stimulus um and it takes a lot of effort to raise one of these things um in the story and the same thing that's what i was thinking of when i was thinking about arnold in this right he starts off was as completely bare bones right he's got his um his objective it's very cold it's very uh inhuman right but that's all you really need right it's it's the barest minimum to like get him to function essentially besides like all of the things you would need to like balance and shoot a gun or whatever right but like, as far as emotional intelligence goes he's he's a blank slate and it made me think that like the progress that you see him go through in this movie probably does actually would actually happen in real time the same way that it would uh, for a person, right? If you were to have a robot like the Terminator, but who wasn't like out to kill you, right? Who was just kind of a blank slate. What would it take to get him to learn how to like act like a person and to, you know, do all that stuff. And, uh, it's, it's very interesting to think about like what that time frame might look like, because you always assume that 
computers would do that sort of thing really fast, but we've never been able to accelerate that process. So, and is that because our brains don't develop, aren't developed, right? Like we, we focus on different parts of, uh, of, uh, of the brain at different parts in our development, or is it because like, that's how long it takes for you to teach someone something like this? Cause it's very complicated. So I don't know what that, the answer is. I believe that machines would make less mistakes over time, but there's no guarantee that they wouldn't jump to conclusions um, that would be harmful to themselves or to others. Uh, I don't know. The other thing that I want to touch on here is that uh, Arnold does an incredible job. This is one of his best performances of his whole career. I agree. Um, it, I, I normally don't like it when you ask an, ask, ask an actor not to emote, but Arnold does such a freaking amazing job, and he has to transition between being completely uncold, like completely cold and unfeeling, to be having like some semblance of emotion by the end of it. And this was apparently a real challenge for for Schwarzenegger because they were filming the movie out of order, and he had no idea like what a <laughs> reference point was between like how developed he was between one scene to another. Um, but it's it's pulled off brilliantly. At the end, like he's not really like uh caring so much but he does like make a couple of really salient points he does the thumbs up at the end and yes. he seems to actually understand why john is upset that he's about to like kill himself yes you know and that's it, it's it's so much physicality there's so much in this movie that works so well and there's no freaking dialogue at all there's a bunch of chase scenes where they're not talking they're like don't they don't say a word for like 10 minutes it's just the freaking action and the the physicality of arnold schwarzenegger and uh, just his ability, to, like his like charisma, plus his uh, char- like chemistry with Edward Furlong, which apparently was real on set. Um, he was uh, he really captured the, this idea of being a machine so perfectly. The way he moved, like the way that he talked, right? It, he transformed into like this, you know, uh, incredibly um, like powerfully charismatic person into a just like cold machine uh, through just basically his actions, hardly anything that he said. Uh, I, it's really impressive. Um, and it's one of the, like one of the greatest performances in an action movie and elevates this movie to such a good level. The scene at the very end when he's fighting Robert Patrick, right? And they're like, neither of them are, are reacting to like the punches and stuff. It's such a brilliant detail to add in the movie, but it's so memorable <laughs> because you're like, of course, of course that's not how we would act, right? And they just like, they would just like, you know, turn their heads, but they would like, they would like face would be totally Just blank. completely, yeah, stone-faced, <laughs> getting like smashed into a wall or getting com- awesome. destroyed by this like big piece of metal. You gotta, you gotta think that that's completely antithetical to everything you've ever learned as an actor, right? right? It, like, and to have that kind of control and just discipline in that to really sell that, I think, um, uh, makes it for me. It, I love those still details in this movie. Yeah. And I mean, you just brought up Robert Patrick, his performance is amazing as well. He had that cold stare down to a science and being the terminator across from the, the terminator exactly. is a <laughs> monumental task. And he absolutely nailed it and and he i I think you're right like both of them kind of embody that uh robotic kind of like anti-expression uh in a way that is is really impressive and look no further than some of the other characters that the t-1000 became uh to see like an example of it being not as good uh which it wasn't bad but you like i was happy that uh, Robert Patrick got to be the T-1000 for the majority of the movie because when oh, he was other awesome. people I was like this isn't as good I love I love that he's like he had a favorite form like it's so funny that he like he like he becomes like the you know he's like a group of metal or whatever right and then he becomes 
the cop that he meets right away. And then he keeps going back to it. They have like more than one scene. I think there's like two or three where he transforms back into Robert Patrick. Like this is what he likes. He just likes this. He likes being <laughs> Robert Patrick. It's freaking He like goes from being another cop or he becomes, he goes from being that like the twin, right? Uh, to being Robert Patrick. He's like, I'm, I'm, he could have been the orderly, right? That would have actually made more sense to keep being that guy while he was in the hospital. But he's like, no, nah, I actually prefer to be Robert Patrick in this situation. I, I think <laughs> that's something that's that awesome. is like Cyberdyne, uh, you know, proprietary software is like, we also want to look badass because yeah, the Terminator, cool. in the first Terminator, he puts the glasses on because he has to try to preserve his disguise as a human and he has to cover up the, his exposed eyeball. But in this one, I mean, he takes the sunglasses at night at the beginning of the movie. So, yes. uh, you know, he cares about how he looks and, and clearly the T-1000 also, uh, you know, is, is a little bit interested in looking badass. And that cop form is the one that it, it calculated to be the most badass looking. And uh, you can't argue with that math. They definitely, really the, the, the technology is <laughs> advanced enough to know that kind of thing. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So uh, we uh, we started on this. Uh, I was like, let's not go on a tangent, and here we are. Um, I, uh, I, I just to get back to the cons really quickly. Um, I'm with you. I I'm gonna throw out any like minor cons I had. This movie is freaking amazing, and it's uh, a movie that. I only just recently saw for the first time. Like, of course, I had seen iconic scenes from this movie. Uh, like, I saw the Hasta la Vista baby scene. I had seen that clip oh, yeah. and a lot of other things. Like, I, I, I knew enough about this movie, but I hadn't sat down and watched it back to back. And I'd never seen basically any of Terminator 1. Uh, so I watched that in preparation for watching the second one because I was like, clearly, <laughs> surely you have to watch the first one to understand the second one. Totally not true, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was, I, I, th I felt like it, w it was a good movie in its own right. Uh, a lot simpler. Um, and I, I look at Terminator 2 as Terminator 1 fully realized. Better action, more stunts, way better special effects, way more opportunity for Arnold to be a star. He was way less utilized in the first one. Like he, he was basically a Mike Myers character in the first one where he's just like slowly approaching you and totally invincible, eventually going to catch you when you trip over whatever and he's chasing you, but didn't have as many iconic lines. He did have, um, uh, fuck you asshole <laughs> but like he didn't have nearly as many good lines i need your uh, clothes yeah <laughs> so um and this in terminator 2 another way that it's better or, or it's fully realized as i'm saying is that it's longer and it has more characters right one thing that I heard you talk about on a different podcast when you were discussing James Cameron is that he likes to wait for technology to catch up to his vision for, for him to make a movie. That's why it's presumably why we're, we've waited so long for Avatar 2, right? Yep. Underwater so, uh, motion capture. Right, right. So um, I think this movie is a great example of giving technology time to catch up with your vision when you're making a movie. I can't get over how much technology has advanced between 1984 and 1991. This movie still looks great 30 years later. Like the, the of course the big thing the first thing that comes to mind the liquid metal is oh super cool. And it was a very creative choice to to make an improvement on the original terminator who was already super badass and 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 awesome. Um but like they, they, so like that was like a massive improvement between these two movies. Battle damaged Arnold 
looks way better in the second <laughs> one than he did in the first one. I mean, he looked laughably bad in the first one. Like the, the scene where he has to take his eyeball out and he's like looking at himself in the mirror. It's like over the shoulder. It's clearly Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then it cuts to like the front like looking view of just him looking directly into the camera and it's a puppet and it doesn't look anything like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's, it's like confusing to watch at this point because it's like, wait, am I looking at somebody else now? And, uh, it doesn't, it, it doesn't hold up at all. And that's just one of the special effects. Like there were other like green screen that looked terrible. The stop motion effects on the actual Terminator when it was chasing them at the end, like after it removes all of its flesh, that movie, yeah. it's it's it looks old, and um, uh, you know, it's amazing that they got that much better for the second one. Um, and and like another way that like it, I think it enhanced the first one was the uh the T eight hundred strength Arnold strength is on full display in this movie. He is constantly breaking through things, shooting guns with one hand, having like no recoil at all, and just generally being a tank. And it's freaking awesome. Compared to the first movie, it, it feels like they're just having way more fun with the fact that he's an invincible robot and not just making it like scary. Yeah. I Okay, so something that I think a lesser director would fall like fall into is having this power creep problem, right? I mean, we talked about this many times before about how, uh, you know, punching or like, act, like especially in superhero movies, like how different powers or like moves or whatever you want to call them uh, seem to have various effects depending on what their target is. You know, like when Captain America punches something, you know, sometimes he punches straight through a wall. Sometimes he punches a guy and he like gets knocked out, right? Like it's, there's are two very different things. <laughs> um, or like Dr. Strange, like blasting people with like red magic or, or whatever. Like none of that makes any sense. Uh, like what is happening is, are they going to get a bruise? Are there, is their skin seared off? Is it going straight through them? No idea. And th this movie, I feel like, could have fallen into that idea where you have two invincible robots going at each other. But I think they do a really good job of establishing the stakes and like the power level of each character, right? We got Arnold, who's uh, very strong, right? He can punch really hard. He can shoot really well. But um, you know he can get, take a lot of damage, right? A lot of like bullets, uh, you know, a pistol or something does absolutely nothing to him. Maybe scratches him a little bit, right? You can get holes in his leather jacket, but he doesn't doesn't seem to care at all. Whereas the T one thousand, you can blast him with a shotgun, um, and that will set him back a couple of paces, but doesn't actually hurt him at all. Um, and you see that over and over again, which I think is really, I think it's really great because. Daniel, you have some sort of context for what you're dealing with here. Like, oh my gosh, this thing, like if it was a person would have been like exploded into a million pieces, but that's not what we're, we're dealing with here. We're dealing with something much, much tougher and it can take multiple hits, very, very close range and it's fine. It just, uh, it can be like temporarily disabled or like has to reform itself, which takes time and energy, right? Which gives you enough to realize that it is possible although very unlikely for it to be defeated, right? You're not dealing with something that's completely invincible. You're dealing with something that is mostly invincible. And like just that little touch there where you kind of get an idea of like what its powers are and like what it can, uh, uh, how much damage it can take before it like kind of gives up or, or has to like regroup um, is really nice for the moviegoer. Uh, for me, especially, I'm, I'm able to contextualize and say, oh, okay, I know what this is going to do. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm curious to know what an RPG is going to do to it. You know, I'm, I'm curious to know what a truck hitting it will do. I remember when I first watched this movie, 
I, that was the thing that, that stood out to me. It's like, it's like, it just kept walking out of the flames. I kept getting shot by things and it wouldn't go down. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what's going to happen? How are they going to stop this thing? It really, and honestly, even watching it today, even though knowing the ending so like so perfectly and, and seeing all the beats and everything, how it leads up to it, still, it feels so terrifying that it cannot be stopped. It just, it, it, it can go into any situation and has the tools necessary to pry open elevator doors. It's just awesome. Just, uh, it feels so unstoppable and it, and it all like makes sense. It all like fits into the, into the mold that it needs to. Uh, it's such an impressive, just like uh, range of restraint and, re- and creativity um displayed uh, on this movie right and restraint is right because it would have been badass to have him be like okay now my arms turn into gatling guns and and i'm able to become complex machinery but they put the lid on that immediately arnold is like no it's not possible like i have files (laughs) that tell me that that they can't do that the swords (laughs) swords stabbing objects yeah and also uh that he has to like come in contact with the things that he's going to become uh, which that makes sense right like he wouldn't uh, maybe he doesn't have an imagination or or maybe he does but that's not what he uses to be able to become other things i thought for sure that when uh, he was like hanging on to the back of the car as they were escaping and then his like little piece is still on the car and john is like and like throws it off the back i thought it's like oh no now it's going to become john because john Uh, touched it uh and that it didn't come back to i mean they ended up doing the thing with sarah but uh but yeah i liked how all that stuff was established it's simple enough to understand and then it's fully utilized fully realized uh throughout uh the actual execution of the movie so yeah before we move on i do want to touch a little bit on the special effects too so um corridor digital does did a couple of videos about terminator 2 they did one where they were trying to recreate the uh, walking through uh bars uh scene using modern uh technology um and they they interviewed one of the the uh special effects artists who worked on uh, terminator 2 um specifically on the shot where he gets thrown against the wall and then reverses himself yes um instead of like slipping around he like just like (laughs) flows into himself um they, they they piece they like take that apart and like show exactly how they did that and everything it's very very cool dude you gotta um, send me those i it's I, really awesome. i'm trying to watch those on the stream it's um the the thing about it is that there a lot of the stuff that they were doing in this movie was the very first time they've ever done something like this and they were the artists uh right now the way that it works now from what i understand is there's like three levels of artistry at like a visual effects studio there are the artists who like say okay i want to paint this thing there are the developers who make the uh like the actual render and then there are like the test like the test environment builders the people that build the like apparatus that you can then play inside of essentially and i think there may even be more than that but it's it's very complicated but back in 1991 all of those people were the same person and they would be the artist and the developer at the same time. Like, how do I do this effect? And they would eventually, eventually basically create new technology uh, as they were making this movie to make those things work. So James Cameron was in, co- in contact with uh, Industrial Lights and Magic ILM throughout the writing of this script. There were numerous uh, uh, things that he wanted to put in there that are apparently too ambitious that they couldn't do. So... This is what like this is what they decided they could do, and they actually ended up doing it in a pretty quick turnaround. Um, this movie did not was written in like six weeks, filmed in like six months, uh, which is pretty quick for the highest, uh, the most expensive movie ever made at that time. <laughs> so it's a <laughs> um, it's pretty impressive, and 
uh, yeah, so a lot of the stuff that you see in here, like a lot of the environments and the effects were built specifically for this movie to, to do the things that you see in this movie. And there are so many really cool little things they do, reflections in the uh, in like the blob, right? Um, like there's one scene where he has three arms, right? Which is very simple, right? You just have a guy, another guy with the same kind of thing there. But it's just like little, <laughs> little touches like that are so so nice. And then, yeah, of course, like the flipping around, the um, the 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 transformation of the T-1000 as he's, you know, using his swords to like cut into people or do whatever. All that stuff was, was, uh, was like carefully thought out and planned. Um, and I, even though there are far fewer VXX shot, VFX shots in this movie than there are in modern movies, um, every single one of them looks so amazing. And I can't see that. I can't see this thing deteriorating if it hasn't deteriorated already in 30 years maybe in 60 years maybe in another 30 years it'll look uh, terrible but 30 years on it still looks amazing totally totally and especially watching this movie right after watching the first terminator the vfx for terminator one fell apart big time in the final act especially i mean really it it was obvious when the uh flesh was all burned off of arnold and I felt like the scene where the T-1000 walks out of the flames from that truck crash is kind of their answer to that. They're like, oh, you thought it looked like shit when we made our Terminator <laughs> walk out of the fire in Terminator 1? Well, check this out. And, and not only does he look amazing and it's like got all the reflections and it, like the lighting like, looks good, but then he seamlessly turns back into a real person, dude. Like it's not just VFX. It's also like IRL seamlessly mixed together I, I was i was blown away uh because i had no idea what the expectation was for the special effects in this movie and they get you right out of the gate with yeah amazing execution so uh yeah again they really stepped up from terminator one to terminator two but similar to uh, you know we just talked about top gun maverick uh and, and you know t- speaking of great sequels i think yeah. they did a lot of things that um kind of uh, take great concepts or great attributes from the first movie and then kind of redo them for Terminator 2 because in Terminator 1 it's not obvious that Arnold is a robot right they you know it's not even obvious that Kyle Reese is a good guy they have this mystery about our two uh, main characters basically or our two time travelers and um that is a big part of getting you into the action there's a lot of mystery to begin the movie and this movie has that as well seeing arnold you're obviously thinking well he's the bad guy because i already know him as a bad guy and then we have our uh you know t1000 who you assume probably has got to be the good guy because i'm familiar with terminator at this point i've seen the whole terminator movie and to have that switch and that reveal in the beginning was super cool and even though i knew that i can still appreciate uh that 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 twist uh that they included in this movie and then beyond that it is very purposeful too right i mean when you first are introduced to t1000 he, the cop sees him and then it's like, hey, buddy, are you okay? And then the, all you hear is kind of like a like a punch, right? You don't see what happens to him. I think it would be based on the later later events of the movie. It's pretty obvious that he stabs him through the through the stomach. But uh, at that point, it just seems like he punches him. And then next, the next shot is him walking with his clothes on, right? You don't get a scene of him transforming or anything. It's not till much later that you actually see that happen. And when that reveal happens, it's like, ah, it's just so brilliant, right? It's just like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> this thing is so much scarier than it seemed at first, right? It, it's it, it, at first you're like, oh wow, like this is uh, 
this is not a big deal, especially since Robert Patrick looks so much less intimidating than Arnold does. Yes. But like to for him to be faster, leaner, and then to be like more flexible with these, uh, you know, with liquid thing, it's just it's such a gr- um, amazing concept. And uh, I think again, it's done so well. Again, such restraint, right? To say, okay, we're when are we going to reveal that this is how this guy works, and um, how are we going to do it? And I think it's just so brilliant. <laughs> well, and then we get this excellent callback when they're in the psych ward and Arnold finally makes it to Sarah Connor. We have her completely falling apart when she sees yes. him and, and flashing back to Terminator 1. And then you see him, you know, stick his hand out and he's like, come with me if you want to live. Yes, dude. <laughs> and it's like such an iconic line. I- I'm not even sure if that line was as iconic in Terminator 1 because obviously I wasn't there when people were walking out of the theater from seeing it yeah, for the yeah. first time being like, come with me if you want to live. But that is an iconic line now. And it feels a little bit like fan service to be like, remember this line from Terminator 1? But they also justify it completely. It would make sense that John would want his terminator that he's sending back in time to say that to establish trust with sarah connor because she would obviously remember having heard that from john connor that's how john earned her trust too so it's like ah dude that's awesome like it's fan service but it's also completely justified within the context of the film that it's in um which is how you should do intertextuality it's so it's such a it's like a weird line right it's like come with me if you want to live like it's it's so um I don't know. It, like, it's got this weird, like, again, kind of mystery feeling to it. I don't really know exactly why it's so, like, it feels so nice to say, but it really does. It has this, like, aesthetic, like, feeling. It feels good in my tongue, you know? And uh, just having it repeated like this is so awesome. It just it comes, because it's so quick, too. And, um, you know, it's just a, an incredibly quotable line, and it's fun to say uh in your regular life because normally you know your life isn't in you're not in fatal danger normally but it's still fun to say come with me if you want to live um yes yeah. no and i mean this movie's <laughs> full of great lines because then the other way that it sticks to the same kind of uh structure as the original terminator is the having the climax be in this uh industrial factory but even before that you've got the terminator driving a big truck with a liquid in a big tank behind him crashing it the terminator getting covered in whatever that liquid is and seemingly being defeated but not really uh, yeah and, and and you got that i mean they didn't have a as qu- qu- like a quippy line for it in the first one but of course in this one we got hasta la vista baby which was <laughs> super cool and it feels like winning right and, and yeah. it's like but obviously there's more to it after that. Um, but it was just, it's so great that we got to have that line, which was also built up because John was teaching him not to just use, uh, like he could have said just you're terminated, I guess. Right, right. But he, he had a little bit more spice on it uh, than that. And then, uh, and then obviously, you know, they have the same ending where it's like he gets destroyed by some sort of uh, thing within the uh, factory. And um and even goes beyond the first Terminator because in the first Terminator, it's like, at least I came away from it feeling like, okay, they survived the horror. It's It felt a lot more like a, a thriller slasher movie where mm-hmm. your you know main character makes it out alive. And it's like, okay, I guess she made it out alive versus this one where they're like, this now the Terminator uh, is dead and the, the Arnold's going to sacrifice himself. And like, what does this say about humanity? So like it comes through with way more meaning, uh, which yeah, definitely makes it worth the extra runtime it took to get to that point. Totally agree. Totally agree. 
It's awesome, dude. This movie is freaking awesome. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think that is going to get us through our overall section, and now we're on to the cool Easter eggs. And this movie has a ton, so let's uh, let's get into it. Yeah. So this movie, obviously, this is this happens every time there's an anniversary for any well acclaimed. A beloved movie, um, but there's lots of like facts and background stuff that comes out um, uh, like around those anniversaries. And this article from uh, The Ringer is really good. Um, and a lot of it is actually uh, quoted or referenced in the Wikipedia as well. So you can check that out if you want to read the whole article. But it's it's good. I recommend you read it. And one of the... Uh, there's all, all these different little Easter eggs in there about like the making of this movie that were very funny. And one of my favorite ones is James Cameron was trying to convince Arnold uh, to come to the movie or like, to, to work on the movie. Right. Arnold was originally like the, the person that said, I want to do a sequel. He was the person that like, like convinced James Cameron that there should be a sequel. And um, so James Cameron wrote the script and then he gave it to Arnold on a plane and Arnold was asking him all these questions about it. And so eventually the next morning they were having breakfast together and uh, James Cameron says, uh, he and I had breakfast, had a breakfast meeting. Arnold always had the same thing, oatmeal with nuts and dates and fruit in it. So that's what I had. I could tell there was something bugging him, right? We were pals at this point. Post Terminator, we rode motorcycles together. And he said, Jim, I have a big, I have a big problem with the script. I said, well, what is it? And he said, I don't kill anybody. I said, I know, right? They'll never see that coming. Nobody will guess it. He said, I know, but that's what, that's, I know, but one thing is surprise. Another thing is I don't kill anybody and I'm the Terminator. <laughs> this is happening on some terrace at Cannes and everybody's looking. I'm like, let's talk about, let's talk this out. I gave him all the reasons how it's going to work. He said, I know, but everybody knows I kick in the door and shoot everybody. That's what I do. <laughs> So he was upset that he he was afraid that um, his body count uh, as a uh, action star was going to suffer right. when he didn't kill people. You know, he's he's doing the same math that uh, The Rock and um, Jason Statham are doing um, in uh, the Fast and Furious spinoff movie, whatever that movie's Absolutely. called. Absolutely, Hobbs and Shaw. You got to make sure yeah, your yeah. KD ratio is good, otherwise people won't think you're a badass anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So he's he's upset that he's not going to get to kill as many people in this movie. Although he, I think he does kill he kills those bikers, doesn't he? He definitely messes them up. They could they yeah. could potentially be dead. But but I loved this. Originally, I was like, oh, that's lame. I, he's the Terminator. Like I'm okay with him killing you know civilians. Yeah. Uh, but I think partially this movie made the case that that's not good to be okay with that. You know, it's like <laughs> you don't give up your humanity in your quest to save humanity. Uh, but right. also, it's just more interesting obviously our, uh the terminator can kill a group of cops he's, he's bulletproof that's easy mode it's way more interesting and memorable for him to walk up and shoot everybody in the knee oh <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh, yeah it's so freaking funny um but plus like well when he when uh those two guys come up to him and um uh, John in the parking lot, right? And they're like, "Hey, hey, kid, is this kid, is this guy bothering you?" And then he like nearly shoots that guy right in the face. It's like, oh, it's brutal. Like if that had happened, it was just—I mean, that would have been a recoil for, like moment for sure. But like the fact that John interferes there, right? I, again, it, does, it goes such a long way with uh, telling the story and like in a in a fun way. I completely agree. So eventually, like, it was never really clear to me whether Schwarzenegger was completely convinced that this is the right move. But so all he said in response was, just make me cool. <laughs> <laughs> just make me cool. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. 
<laughs> and he did. He totally succeeded. Oh, he's so the, cool. The, I, <laughs> I, uh, I will confess that one of the first things I did after I finished this movie is went online and ordered a t-shirt that, from the poster of this movie where it's got oh, Arnold really? with his sunglasses on and a shotgun over his shoulder because it's just so badass. They definitely succeeded in making him cool. This is still his highest grossing movie ever. Terminator 2. Dang. Um, so a couple more uh, notes. Uh, first, uh, Pat, uh, Robert Patrick's facial expressions were based on those of an eagle, keeping his hit head tilted down, and which implied constant forward movement. He actually did a whole bunch of stuff. I think you may have something mentioned here about some of his training. Yes, um, he, but uh, he was like, undertook yeah, a ahead. running regimen and practiced breathing only through his nose, and in order to appear like a cyborg, because obviously a cyborg's not going to huff and puff when it's running. And uh, he trained so hard that he was able to catch up with Edward uh, Furlong's dirt bike in the actual. Yes. Season. Like he could actually do that. <laughs> which is amazing he was hauling um, ass dude that yeah. I've, I've never been so scared we're just watching like a, a seemingly normal man run oh man he's so cool and um yeah apparently he was studying like all these different martial arts stuff because he wanted to uh, james cameron said this is kind of like an east versus west kind of mentality of like the brute strength of of arnold schwarzenegger versus like the the like judo moves of uh robert patrick and um he was uh, of all the people that like uh, in this interview that I read, he seems like the one that's like almost more most grateful. Apparently, he was living in his car when they cast him for this, um, and he like he said that every time he went on set, he was just like, "I'm just gonna do everything that James Cameron tells me to do." Like I'm just gonna <laughs> do exactly what he said because James Cameron is is famous for being very particular about his takes and will make people shoot over and over and over again until he gets exactly what he wants. Um, and yeah, he said that. Robert Patrick, uh, like, you know, 30 years on, he's like, people still recognize me as the T-1000. I think that's a real compliment. <laughs> so Yes. Uh, and he, yeah. for, you know, it, it's more than just the monster underneath. Like, he really embodied this role. He was, he's amazing. Yeah. Just knocked it out of the park. He, like, he was, tra he transformed himself. That's, uh, James Cameron says he's chameleic. Uh, you know, chameleic, whatever, however you would say that. He's <laughs> like, like a chameleon. chameleon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, um... He would, um, he would transform basically, right? He, he would become this like cold guy, even like the, just the way he walked apparently, uh, like would be enough to convince you that he was, he was now the Terminator, um, which was very impressive. Uh, really like a lot of sh good shout outs to Robert Patrick. He really pulls it off. Um, I have a really great, uh, just a tidbit about James Cameron's, uh, just i think this tells a lot about him as a person uh the steady cam operator in one of the sequences where we had just shot in the uh, house interacting his machine wasn't functioning and jim was furious the guy said look it's jammed i don't know what's happening it's not working jim just grabbed it out of his hand and said give it to me and put it on the table busted it open bang 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 did a couple of very precise surgical moves on this thing slammed it shut handed it back to him and said now try it and it worked perfectly and we got the shot and he kept his head <laughs> wow <laughs> and jim in this is J uh, james cameron james cameron that's yeah. right uh, wow that is so, i respect that a lot it's uh, you're not it's just a tyrant you're like you know your craft I know. Yeah. So yeah, apparently he would, he doesn't have, I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but according to Schwarzenegger, he doesn't have much of like, um, uh, like tact or something. He doesn't have like much of a presence or something or, or whatever. Like he's not like inspiring to people necessarily just by what he's, what he's doing or saying. He just yells a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he just screams a lot of people until he gets what he wants. So 
Well, I, I can't, you know, uh, I can't sign off on that as being like the most effective strategy, but he gets results. It sure does. Uh, so something I thought was interesting about this, um, the production took, uh, like during production of this movie, Edward Furlong's growth uh, caused the production team to have to make certain adjustments during the shoot. He is oh, wow. apparently, I didn't notice it, but he is noticeably younger in the desert scene than in the other scenes. And his voice began to break, and he had to be pitch adjusted in post production. <laughs> oh my god! Like, and, and he had grown like a lot taller. Like he went through his growth spurt. So one scene shot late in the production schedule, he had to stand in a hole in the ground in order to maintain continuity and height difference between him and uh, Linda Hamilton. Not even puberty stops James Cameron from doing the shot he wants. <laughs> Uh, yeah which again like uh, i guess i'll just say this now because i feel like i always like criticize the child acting a lot of movies it's it's not great that they're not their best actors the children are usually not as good as adult actors but um you know he did good he did just fine you know he's great i think he's the emotional heart of this movie with uh with arnold yeah he he's the emotional heart of this movie you know Uh, um his sarah connor is like cold and broken you know and obviously uh arnold is a machine and so he's like he's the one that's like no we have to do this this is the right thing to do you know he's he's got the uh the morality on check um and he's, he's he's very emotional right he's like i don't care what the smart thing to do is we're going after my mom because she's my mom you know it he's he's a constant reminder of what they're fighting for and um I think he does. I think he does brilliantly. Uh, there's this is actually his first movie ever. They like picked him up off the street essentially, um, and were like, "Hey, kid, have you ever been in a movie before?" <laughs> and they like the the casting director gave him like personal acting lessons and everything to try to get him because they because they saw something in him that they thought they could pull out because there was something just like raw about about him because he hadn't been. Uh, as James Cameron said, like uh, conditioned to be in advert like advertisements where he's like perky um, and like smiles a lot, um, and that was something he really liked, and it's brilliant. It really is. And I don't for Edward Furlong has not had a very illustrious career. He wasn't even James Cameron in any of the other movies, uh, but he is. Um, or not James Cameron. Sorry, he's not even John Connor in any of the other movies, but he's still um, the other JC. <laughs> the real, the real JC, uh, but he's um, uh, he's really good in this one, and I, I think they capture lightning in a bottle with him. Well, um, yeah, no, I I agree. He did a great job. Um, and and another uh, fun fact for you. Uh, so the Car Rolko, I think is how you say the studio name. Uh, their executives were nervous and concerned that the original budget of 75 million ballooned up to 88 million and like potentially could have grown more and they were trying to keep the budget manageable manageable so they wanted to eliminate a few scenes in particular the opening biker bar scene where the terminator where arnold is introduced and um they tried to get arnold schwarzenegger to persuade james cameron to remove that scene but schwarzenegger turned them down saying uh, only a studio guy would cut a scene out like that and <laughs> he's so right because if we didn't have Ooh, that scene we wouldn't have this line i need your clothes your boots and your motorcycle <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) 
Dude, is that from the movie or is that me and my friends laughing every time we hear this like line <laughs> from the Arnold Schwarzenegger greatest quotes YouTube video? Um, but I, 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 I love this line from Arnold. This goes along with some of the ones that you were saying. Like, Arnold is just such a such a guy. <laughs> yeah um uh, uh they when they were making this movie uh apparently some of the executives or like you know studio heads were like james cameron is the kind of person that where you write a check close your eyes and hand it to him because you just don't know what's going to happen yeah yeah because after this didn't he get like a 500 million dollar contract to make like 12 movies or something like this the commercial success for this like put him on a new tier of yes. uh being a, of like notoriety and being a director so that's, yeah, exactly. uh, which, you know, I guess that makes sense. There's a lot of evidence to say that that is a, uh, a good financial investment. Um, okay. So yeah, no, another fun fact for you, special effects guru, Stan Winston and his crew studied hours of nuclear test footage in order to make Sarah Connor's nuclear nightmare scene look as realistic as possible. A miniature Los Angeles was made to simulate the scene. Some of the materials used in the miniature that mimicked all the destroyed masonry were matzos crackers and shredded wheat. After wow. each take, it would take an average of two days to set the model up and shoot again. In late 1991, members of several u.s federal nuclear testing labs unofficially declared it quote the most accurate depiction of a nuclear blast ever created for a fictional motion picture end quote the special effects team members have stated several times that no scene they've worked on since has received an equivalent amount of praise or emotional feedback from the viewers and i am right there with those guys that scene was disturbing Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. And this is another thing I love about this movie is that um, just like Linda Hamilton or, or Sarah Connor says uh, in the scene where she's watching uh, uh, Dadinator uh, play with her son, um, she says, in an insane world, it's like it's the sanest choice. That reflects her own decisions to pursue this life of like being a renegade and like a domestic terrorist, blowing up computers factories and murdering uh, scientists. Right? She uh, believes that this uh, nuclear holocaust is imminent, and if that you know, if you believe that with all your heart, if you knew that was coming, if you had a message from the future that this was coming, wouldn't you do it, anything in your power to stop it? Because in that scene, right, isn't she seeing herself playing with her yes. young son? She's seeing herself seeing... from Terminator 1, like the, yeah. the pre-all of this version, when she right. still has the big hair. The styles are so different in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, like, that's, it's amazing that, like, I, I think it's such a, a telling thing, because it's like, why would you sit back and pretend everything is fine if you know this thing is about to happen? It's the sort of like reflection that I think in a world full of chaos and uh, like what feels like it's crumbling around you, maybe uh, should be considered more uh, seriously. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what I want to say. Okay. And my last Easter egg here, uh, it's... uh more just a fact, but until the Born Ultimatum in 2007 and Mad Max Fury Road in 2015, this was the only sequel to win an Academy Award with the previous installment or installments uh, receiving no nomination. Ergo, it's the only such film of the 20th century. And wow. I, I know that, like, personally, I don't care about awards, but I think this is a uh, something you can look at to uh, reflect on the fact that this is an amazing sequel, and that is something that rarely happens where the sequel Mm -hmm. is 
almost universally considered to be better than the original. And um, yeah, that's how I feel about this one. Only James Cameron, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then, I think we're ready to bring this conversation to a close. And as we do on all of our movie episodes, we will now deliver our ratings. So Joey, what rating do you want to give to Terminator 2 Judgment Day? I feel like there's an obvious one, but I'm not going to say that. So I'm going to go with a box containing a dozen roses and a shotgun. Nice. Yeah, that was awesome the way he took that thing out. <laughs> and then stepped on the roses. <laughs> ah, <it's> so cool. <laughs> uh, I'm giving this movie my clothes, my boots, and my motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> great <laughs> okay um well there we go terminator 2 i'm really happy to have seen this movie it's so easy to talk about movies when they're just obviously amazing um yes. i really enjoyed having terminator in my life this week so uh thank oh, you so for suggesting this one joey absolutely of course um i don't say this lightly they don't make movies like this anymore yeah preach preach um so what is next on affable chat we're continuing the James Cameron hype train with True Lies. I guess also the Arnold's. The Arnold's, yes, at two for one. But I mean, <laughs> and more largely, we're, we're on the uh, James Cameron hype train because of the, we're anticipating the release of Avatar 2. That's right. The greatest sequel of all time. Yeah, so that's kind of our trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of our trajectory right now on Affable Chat. But, uh, you know, while you're waiting on the rest of the James Cameron episodes, uh, what can they do, Joey? They can subscribe to uh, our iTunes, our Spotify, our Google Play, or anywhere else uh, that Affable Chat exists on the internet, um, which is every podcasting Audible. platform. Audible. Audible. Uh, name a podcasting platform. Uh, you can't uh, name one that we don't or not on. Uh, we're, we're on every single one. I challenge you to find one we're not on. Uh, AppleChat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of which are at AppleChat and even our email address, AppleChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you considered it's a podcast? It's my favorite one. We actually, we actually have uh, Arnold saying that it's his favorite podcast on. Uh, I'll, I'll, right. put, I'll put that right here. I'll put that right here. This is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and you're listening to Affable Chat, my favorite podcast. <laughs> my favorite podcast. <laughs> Uh, and Apple Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Apple Chat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Apple Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.